Funny Books with Aaron, Polly, Tim, and Wayne. I'm Aaron. I'm Polly. This is Wayne. And this is Tim. So, Big Paul, Big Paul, you're traveling the world. You're over there in the city of brotherly love, enjoying some of what? That Philadelphia freedom. Oh, yeah. I, I thought you were going to say I was enjoying that brotherly love because I am I am not enjoying that. Well, I know it's, you know, we're recording on Saturday morning, but Saturday night, totally different story. You're going to be knee deep in Philadelphia ass. <laughs> Let's hope not. <laughs> you know, I find it interesting. Paul's all the way in Philadelphia and he's still here, but no new Jonathan. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, Paul is, he has felt that. He's not close enough to the people, so he's walking America. I really am with my laptop and my headset. That's right. He's walking America. You know, he's not gonna he's not gonna be above the people anymore. He's gonna be down amongst the people. You know, so he can be closer to the humans. And That's, just like when Superman did it, I'm already bored of it. <laughs> <laughs> so, Paul, what exactly are you doing in Philadelphia? Well, I am here for a concert. Not, I'm not performing a concert. I'm here to see a concert. Oh. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to do funny books live without the rest of you guys. No. <laughs> so, and what concert are you going to see? I'm going to see Peter Gabriel in concert. Ooh, I'd love to see Peter Gabriel in concert. I'll let you know how it is. Uh, but yeah, this is the closest he was coming to my uh, where I live in in Hampton, Virginia. But um, so you know, I'm up in Philly, recording from studio far north. Uh, just like a couple weeks ago, I was recording from DC. So I'm all over the place this month. You are you are a traveling fiend, is what you are. Yeah, you're just staying away from your wife. No, she's with me. <laughs> Both times. <laughs> Both times. Yeah. But, um, so if, cool. you see, if you see Paul and a chicken walking down the road in the you know, tri-state area. Make sure to say hi. Yeah, ask for a business Why card. did the chicken cross the road? Because it was Paul's wife. <laughs> Peter Gabriel concert, apparently. Yeah, to get to the concert. Yeah, Don't want to be my sledgehammer. <laughs> Well, uh, Paul, I want you to shock that monkey for me. I I, I will be shocking the monkey tonight. Yes. <laughs> speaking of shocking, speaking but of shocking, not in the shower. Speaking of something shocking, Paul, how'd you feel about Green Lantern? I don't know how shocking it is, but I uh, I, I actually kind of enjoyed it. Oh, Paul, what's wrong with you? <laughs> plenty of things but I don't think any of them have anything to do with the fact that I liked Green Lantern okay so tell me what you liked about Green Lantern you know I gotta say I I, I, I liked the acting uh, I thought the actors did a halfway decent job with their roles um, I had no issues with that you know for the for the most part I, I enjoyed a lot of the stuff on Oa um, I thought some of the characters were were good it, it I think the, the main faults of the movie were really I mean there were some definite faults with the writing um and with the direction but i i I think despite all those i still actually rather enjoyed it i didn't think it was great but i thought it was good i I want you to go back and listen to the things that you've said the writing wasn't half bad (laughs) (laughs) no i said there were faults with the writing i didn't say the writing wasn't half bad but it wasn't half good either uh, yeah there were there were some definitely some definite writing issues there 
But yeah. I mean, no, I mean, I I didn't hate it. I thought it was halfway decent. I I, I liked seeing the Green Lantern characters on screen. I mean, it, there were there were definitely some some eye rolling scenes, but uh, you know, overall, like everything past the first fifteen minutes. <laughs> past the first fifteen minutes, no, no. I mean, I I think Ryan Reynolds, who was the one thing I wasn't sold on before the movie. I mean. You know, when they announced Ryan Reynolds, I'm like, wow, that's a bad casting choice. I thought he did a decent job. I really did. And you know, I, and I, I agree I, that he surprised me. I, I did like him as Hal Jordan for the first 15 minutes until he got the ring. You know, that I've, I've heard, I've heard, you know, other opinions of people, of, of people that like this movie. So do you guys think that maybe it's just because, you know, I guess Paul's kind of an outlier, but Aaron, do you think part of the reason you didn't like it was because you had different expect, you had higher expectations from a Green Lantern movie? I actually had very low expectations going into the movie. I think the reason why I didn't like the movie is just because I mean, I, and I think I think Ryan Reynolds did what he could with that movie. You know, I felt I felt like he was trapped in a bad movie, and he tried to make it work as as hard as he could. The I think there are two primary problems with the movie and it's the writing and the directing and i think the direct directing was much worse than the writing even though the writing there were choices in the movie that were not supported by story you know like we talked about last week sinestro putting on the ring at the end of the movie when you've seen nothing in the movie that would indicate that he would do that yeah, yeah on the way out my wife kept asking me why would he do that that makes no sense yeah i mean we know as people who've read the comic we know why he did that but if you're brand new to green lantern there's nothing in the story that supports that. Well, and I got to say, you know, Martin Campbell, the guy directed Casino Royale, which is the uh-huh. film that revitalized the James Bond franchise. Right. It was a great film. I didn't see any of that in this film. There was no genius in this movie like you saw in Casino Royale. Yeah, there was no innovation. I, in fact, at one point during the film, I looked over at my wife and I said, you know, this film feels very 90s to me. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, it was the scene where they're at the uh, like the there's this celebration. They got Ferris Air got the contract. There's a live band playing, and it just all felt very 90s to me. And I don't know why I got that feeling from it, but it felt like a 90s superhero movie with 2011 computer generation. Well, and yeah. one of the things that I I felt you know in thinking about the movie over the last week. One of the things that was missing was a sense of the setting in that, you know, when you go see a Batman movie, Gotham is a character in the movie. When you go see a Superman movie, Metropolis is a character in the movie. I didn't have a sense of anything about Coast City other than the fact that it was on the coast. I think they were trying to get that more out of Oa. And I, I, I think I you feel should like have that. had both. And I, I think I, you should, should have had that contrast between Oa and Coast City. Well, I felt no connection to either. And I got to be honest. Until Jeff Johns took over the title, Coast City had nothing going for it. You know, oh, Coast no, City I don't really disagree. only took on a, a, a life of its own during Rebirth and the Sinestro Corps War. Well, it took on a life of its own after it was destroyed. Oh, yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, it had some character in that we're rebuilding, we're dealing with the trauma of you know the city having been destroyed and six million people dying. You know, that's that was the character of Coast City, but. You, there really should have been some character to that city because I, you you never – Ferris Air just seems like it's off in its own little place in the world. It doesn't feel like you know it's part of anything. And, and, I, 
I, that you was know, kind of my issue with that. Yeah, and I think that was the. I think there were, like I said, it wasn't. I, there were the main issues were story and direction, but at the same time, direction also includes things like art direction yep. and all of that. And I feel like they focused primarily on Oa. And that you know, like let's let's make Oa as cool as possible. You know, let's make it like Star Wars. Um, you know, a planet of Yodas and Jedi, which is essentially yeah. what you know. If you look at o- uh, Oa, it looks like something out of Star the the Star Wars prequel tri- trilogy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Coruscant. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It looks like something like that. You know. Um, yeah, I didn't care for their design of Oa at all. It it didn't impress me. I didn't like the Guardians way up on their giant stone things. With the uh, the robes all the way down to the ground, it, yeah, it it just felt like they they wrote it in such a way as to let's go to back to Oa as much as possible, even if there's no point to it. Yeah. Hey, uh, I came all the way back to Oa to ask for permission to save my planet, but if you don't give me permission, I'm just going to go back and save my planet. Yeah, that was uh, I mean, like I said, definitely <laughs> some issues there. But you know, had that scene been excised from the movie, uh-huh. it wouldn't have been missed. Right. You know, in, well, in fairness, he didn't go back to ask for permission. He he went back to ask for help, and he was told, "We're not giving you any help." Right. Then he's like, "Oh, well, can I go back?" It's like, just go back. It's your sector. Go. <laughs> you but how dare he enter that chamber? How dare he enter that chamber that doesn't have any walls or a roof? Well, and that Sinestro can walk into at any moment. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, yeah, there were. Some some definite writing issues, but I think despite the writing issues, despite the direction, I still found plenty to enjoy. Um, I still enjoyed seeing the ring slinging. I still enjoyed Hal Jordan as a character. I think he, in general, was probably the one thing about the film that worked. And if your protagonist works, then at least I want to see the movie. Um, I, I enjoyed that part of the film. I, 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 I didn't hate it like Aaron did. Um, I, Wayne seemed indifferent about it. But you know, I, I rather enjoyed it. I do think there the, the the choice of villain, both choices of villains, were uh, ill-advised. Um, I don't think there was a major set piece. And you know, I I gotta say, you know, people are comparing it to Thor, but I would compare it more to a Fantastic Four film. And I didn't yeah, hate the Roger Fantastic. Foreman version. <laughs> no, uh, no, more <laughs> recent versions. I would say it's probably <laughs> on par with those Fantastic Four films. And I, I hated. Give it I hated both of those. <laughs> I hated both of those movies, and I didn't hate either one. You know, I, I I just I thought they were enjoyable. I didn't think they were spectacular, but I thought they were enjoyable. Yeah, and this movie is hemorrhaging so much money right now. I mean, well, how much did it make last weekend? Did anybody catch that? It made fifty-five mil it's on that three hundred million dollar budget. I'd say its grand total at this point worldwide is eighty-seven million. Well, that was as so, of last weekend, and that and it hadn't opened everywhere. Yeah, you know, it had only opened a few places um, across the world. So they're, they're pretty much saying it's going to make its money back worldwide, internationally, um, because of all the places it still has left to open. And to be honest with you, most movie companies uh, nowadays don't make their money theatrically anyway. They oh, make them right. off of DVD and Blu-ray sales. Right. So, And I, I got a feeling this movie's going to make its money back. It's In fact, it's going to end up being profitable. Um, I just... Because, I mean, there are more people who, who wait for DVDs nowadays than they do actually going to the theaters. Especially sure. since my movie ticket for this movie was fourteen fifty, Alone. God. 
Um, and I only saw it in 3D. It wasn't in IMAX, you know. So for the wife and I to go you to know, the movie, it was 29 bucks before any concessions. Cheaper to if buy they include in like toy sales or other tie-ins, maybe. And when DVDs come out, it will start making some money back on DVD. But I, the movie, I just definitely don't think it's going to make its money back in theaters, even to, even with foreign in this case. I mean, the the listed budget was two hundred million, with a rumor of it actually being three hundred million, and it's just not performing. Well, and I think the big question is, will there be a sequel to it? You know, will they, you know, will DC, you know, prioritize it in two, three years from now? Will we see another Green Lantern movie? I think it's hard to say. What's their plan B? You know, that was definitely their plan A. Yeah. Well, you know, they've got, uh, you know, the Batman and Superman films coming, I guess, next year. Yeah. Well, and the impression I get is that they're looking at wrapping up the Chris Nolan, Christian Bale Batman. Right. Um, but yeah. they're also looking to start a Justice League franchise. I mean, they've, they've right. act outwardly stated that. Um, well, and they've wanted to do the Justice League franchise since before Marvel went on their road for for the Avengers, but they just haven't been able to put it together. Yeah. You know, and if they did another Green Lantern movie, they could reuse some of the stuff from this one. They went to all the trouble of how to make Oa and all of that. You know, they'd still have to generate this, but some of the special effects, they... You know, they learned how to do it on this one, so it might be cheaper to make the next one reusing some stuff from this one. How much do you guys know about that Justice League movie that they were originally going to do? Uh, not much. Oh, my God. Oh, it was the – so Max Lord was going to be the main villain, and he was going to be played by that kid from Sorcerer's Apprentice. Uh. He was hired. I mean, uh, uh, Batman – um, was going to be Arnie Hammer, who was uh, the twins from Social Network. He was going to be Batman. I mean, it was it was an entirely very young cast, um, you know, early twenties cast. And Wolfgang Peterson was the director. Um, I mean, they I think they I mean they had costumes, they had everything. I mean, it was it ended a week before filming. They they put the the kibosh on it. I mean, it, it had gone all, pretty much entirely through pre production. Wow. It sounds pretty awful. <laughs> yeah, the, it, it, it was pretty much going to be based on um, not identity crisis, but uh, a bit of identity crisis, but more of the OMAC project. Yeah, that was oh, primarily. The story I hated everything they did with the OMACs. They were so overdone, and X Men did them better when they used when they had Sentinels. <laughs> yeah, it was essentially Countdown and the OMAC project, with Max Lord being the, the the main villain. That 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 was the story they were going with for that one. Because I mean, but that was what was big at the time, you know, when right. they were working on the film. Because that was all uh, building up to Infinite Crisis at that time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was a. It, 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 I don't think the film would have necessarily worked, mm-hmm. but uh, it was interesting. I mean, it was. It's interesting how far it got because I think it got, you know, just as far as the Tim Burton Superman, you know, with costumes and pre-production and everything before they actually halted it. Wow. But we'll see where it goes next. I so mean, it, uh, it may or may not have Green Lantern in it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll be curious to see. I, you know, how DC spins the performance of the Green Lantern movie, and you know how quickly we hear news about, you know, a sequel. Cause you know, if movies are successful, they generally announce the sequel right away. Yeah. So be curious to see how they, how they uh, report that. Now we had some, uh, some, uh, you know, bad news this week. Uh, 
artist Gene Colan passed away on Thursday, I believe. Uh, Gene Colan is the was the artist for every single issue of Tomb of Dracula. Um, he was uh, a recurring artist over on uh, Howard the Duck and numerous other uh, books for for Marvel Comics. Um, big time artist during the during the seventies and early eighties. Just a fantastic talent. His his depiction of Dracula is really kind of definitive for me. Uh, anytime I think of Dracula, I think of the way Gene Colan used to draw him, and I'm just I'm really sad to see him go. Yeah, I love the art on Tomb of Dracula. It it wasn't the kind of art that you would that I normally talk about loving the crisp, right. clean lines or anything, but it wasn't a superhero book. It was the perfect art for Dracula. Yeah, I mean it. I love that book beginning to end, and the art was one of the big selling points of it because I mean, it looked different. Yeah. And I think that's what it needed for the type of book it was because it wasn't the typical Marvel book. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly a, a degree of you know atmosphere that Gene Cullen brought to his 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 works. I mean, just this very fluid kind of look to the Dracula character. You know, one of the things that I found so remarkable about the way he drew those books was that Dracula would be like lost in his capes. I mean, they're just you know the cape and and his costume and. You'd see you you could he he would turn to mist or something and you, there was just a real sense of tangibility about you know you could just feel the world that he was creating. I just love it. Just very moody, very atmospheric, uh, just fantastic stuff. I'm, Gene Cullen was a tremendous talent, and gonna miss him. Yeah, it's it, it's definitely a loss in the comic book world. So you know, if you've never read Tomb of Dracula, written by Marv Wolfman and uh, uh, penciled by Gene Cullen, do yourself a favor. There's an essential uh, co- collection out there on Tomb of Dracula, and while I, I prefer it in color, you know the uh, pen and inks that Gene Cullen has in, in that in that series are just fantastic, and they really pop in, in the black and white book. So go take a look. So speaking of tragedies in the comic book world, DC Roadshow's been kicking off. <laughs> I, I, I got to give it to Tim. That was a, that was a pretty good transition. <laughs> yeah, they were here in um, in Dallas Fort Worth last week, and yeah. uh, all kinds of news came out of that. I, I got some good news out of it, and that Stephan- is Stephanie and Cassandra Batgirls have not been killed. They uh, they are being benched, so we won't see either of them for a while. But they haven't been killed off. Mm-hmm. The characters are still alive out there. Yeah, and they, should, they shouldn't just bench Stephanie. They should just waver and see if another team picks her up. <laughs> That's what I think. I'm disappointed to see that there's not any additional news about the milestone characters. I, w- I was really hoping we'd see, you know, other than just static shock, that we would see a, you know a big return of the milestone characters in the reboot, and we're just not going to see that. Well, one thing that Dan Didio is saying is that they are looking, ultimately, because <clears throat> I mean they haven't announced every title. We still got all of the beyond. We know there's three beyond titles: Batman Beyond, Superman Beyond, and Justice League Beyond. And I, I'm actually really I'm rather interested in that. Yeah, I'm very excited about Superman Beyond. I thought you had three Beyonce titles. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not so excited about that. No, no, no. much less. No, it depends on who's drawing that book. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> but no, uh, I was surprised to see all the Beyond stuff. I mean, I I didn't realize they were going to expand the Batman Beyond universe into two more books. But I the idea of the Superman Beyond after everything we've seen of Superman and like the Batman annuals, this could be really good if they get the right writer. Yeah, well, and they they have announced the writer for the Superman Beyond books. Um, do you guys know who it is? Um, obviously not if Wayne's mentioning it. Uh, 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 I don't share Paul. Paul. Yeah, I'm, I'm here. I'm sorry. I'm. Uh, <clears throat> so I know it's a formal former Marvel writer, but I haven't heard the name. That was that was a pause for dramatic effect from Paul. You guys know who it is? <laughs> no, it, uh, it was uh, Paul. Because I know it. I'm, I'm it, what it really was was a, a a pause for opening up my Internet Explorer and looking it up. But uh, I don't know. We'll just go <laughs> the show. I was trying to cover your butt, Paul, but you can just, yeah, you can just do that. Well, the hotel by, internet, by a former Marvel. <clears throat> I'm sorry. Uh, my, the hotel Internet kind of died as soon as I opened up. Uh, oh, okay. Well, it says here that it's it, the Superman Beyond will be written by a former Marvel writer and editor in chief with a history of writing future superheroes. So that's going to be Jim Shooter, I'm guessing. It's oh, it's, no, I'm sorry. It's written by Tom DeFalco and illustrated oh, okay. by Ron Hens oh, and Sal Buscema. Ah, okay. All of them known for their Marvel work, really. Yeah. Tom DeFalco did Thunderstrike, didn't he? Yes. And Ron Friends did. Wasn't he the artist on Thunderstrike? He was. See? So you get your yeah. Thunderstrike team back again doing Superman Beyond with Custers by Dustin Wen. Interesting, because I I loved DeFalco's work on Spider-Girl. Yeah. I thought it was an incredible title, great writing. One of the few books my wife would read, too. So the idea of him writing a regular Superman book, even if it's uh, Superman Beyond, that excites me. There might be a good Superman book coming. Well, I'm a little bummed they didn't get Paul Levitz to do it. Because he did yeah. that Superman Batman annual we all loved, but you know, yes. I guess he's doing his Legion stuff. So I'm also sad they didn't get John Lovitz to do it either. <laughs> so what John do we Lovett, think that yeah. I would read that? What, what do we think Justice League Beyond's going to look like? Well, they've already showed the Justice League Beyond in the uh, Batman Beyond title. I mean, it's primarily the one you saw in the the series. You know, it's got the Adam, um, it's got the little boy Green Lantern, um, you know, uh, Big Bartha. Or Barta, um, the Hawk guy. Barta, Barta Big Barta, <laughs> the Hawk guy. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm, I would, if we had the right team, I would definitely pick it up. Yeah. So it sounds like they're building that little corner of the DC universe, um, you know. And it sounds like Dan Didio is saying there's going to be ultimately, you know, 80 books, which is sounds about right if you include all the, the various, um umbrellas under dc because you know he is talking zombie is coming back um so you know it's not ending aaron we, we yay we, we, we didn't kill it keep hope alive <laughs> <laughs> you know i had a lot of fun when marvel built their little alternate futures i mean i love the 2099 world i love the mc2 world when they did that so i I like the idea of DC trying something like this. I I can't think of another instance where they've created an alternate world like this that just kept running for a while. Well, one of the things that I thought was was interesting that Didio said was uh, that he also wants comics to ship on time and even mentioned that he is very willing to replace a writer or an artist if they fall behind. 
believe it when I see it. <laughs> well, you know, I'm saying. it depend. Okay, so let's be honest. DC has some late books, but they're mm-hmm. not as bad as Marvel. No, I agree. I agree. Um, but neither but company will... has. Oh, go ahead. Neither company has been particularly willing to, you know, can an artist or a writer when they're late. They just, you know, keep plowing ahead. Yeah, they just um, put in I a just, fill-in issue, like the one we're going to yeah. talk about later, I guess. Uh, Best fill-in issue ever, by the way. I'll just tease that for you. Yep. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm with. I think there will be some more interesting announcements to be had. I'm, I'm glad that Zam- that Zombie is intending. I'm glad that Batman Beyond is intending. I got to say, I wish they had something. You know, they had the DC in between Modern Day and Beyond, so we could yeah. get a Damian Wayne Batman book. Yeah. I would buy the shit out of that book. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, maybe somewhere down the line. Because it, it, um, Damian Wayne is, still has a place in the new DC universe, so, you know, it, it's still a friendly place for me. You know, one of the things that came out of come out of this this road show was the fact was DC's response to retailers complaining about losing sales in the short term. Did you guys? Did you guys? Oh yeah. What they said about that. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, the uh, Bob Wayne, the DC senior VP of sales, is is putting all of that on on the retailers for you know. It's their job to hawk this, these stories in the middle, and you know, get people not to buy into the the, the you know these titles don't matter because nothing's going to matter until one. Well, I, I don't I don't know if I, I I don't think I agree. See, I don't think uh, I no. fully disagree either. That's the thing. I mean, I I don't agree, but I don't fully disagree either. I mean, we're in a we're in a society where you have to release. Your solicits two months in advance. I mean, you, because you have to. That's just. I mean, that's we're, we're pissed off about solicits, but I mean, they have to come out for people ordering and you know for people to pre-order. I mean, it's not like the back in the day where a comic shop could order a thousand copies of a book and not worry if only five hundred sold. You know, nowadays people pretty much order just a couple of copies over what's in the people's polls, so they have to put out these solicits. And so they had to release the information about the DC, the new DC reboot. They couldn't hide that stuff um, till the end of Flashpoint. And I think to a certain extent, you know, the, the people see that and are like, well, you know, I don't need to read anything for the next three months. And I think they're kind of scrambling to say, you know, it's not a complete reboot, guys. You know, we're just rebooting the books that you don't – basically the reboots are coming in the books you don't buy anyway. Right, you know, those are the ones that are really changing. But stuff like Batman and the stuff that's selling well, Green Lantern, we're still continuing with those stories. And I think to a certain extent, DC is portraying that message. But so do comic comic shop owners need to do that as well. If they see people dropping stuff or putting back on the shelf, they need to say, "Hey, you know, what's up with that? You know, hey, it's not a complete reboot. You know, that kind of thing." I don't know. I think they've I think they've made it hard on the retailer to sell. I mean, because I there's a lot that I feel like meh. I don't see a reason to keep on this book when all the new stuff's about to come out. Yeah, and at this you know? point, what is the incentive for the reseller to push a DC book over another book? Yeah. Why wouldn't the reseller push a boom book or an image book whose company isn't coming to them and saying, hey, if you're not selling, it's your own fault? Well, I mean, yeah. so we're, but I got to say, it, the, the incentive is the quality of the book. It shouldn't matter whether the book is, you know, in three months, who, you know, half the shit we read isn't 
going to matter in the main universe anyway. You know, I mean, we read lots of miniseries and stuff like that. And if the quality of the book is good, that's really all that matters. But I, I guess my point is, is that, you know, comic comics are serial fiction. You know, you get a new episode every month, every week, whatever. They're not really capping off the existing storylines. You know, it's not like Infinite Crisis or Crisis on the Infinite Earths where you had the, this huge event that happened over the course of a year or so and they wrapped stuff up. This this seems, even though, you know, Flashpoint's been out there on the radar for a long time, the reboot seems rather last minute. True or not, it seems rather last minute. And, and so... Know, oh, go ahead, Aaron. You're just not seeing that you know there's a buildup in any of the storylines. I mean, Superman's still walking around America. You know, yeah, they're putting out extra books some months just to be able to make this deadline. This was not pre-done. They had, they at some point dropped this on their creators. Their creators had no clue it was coming until they started getting pink slips. Now, Paul, I I, I agree with you. And I agree that the quality of the story is is a selling point, regardless of if they're going to reboot, because, you know, a lot of us do read, you know, Elseworlds books or books that don't matter, quote unquote. But the thing is, is that when you see what happened, like with the last issue of Batman and Robin, where they put together a slapdash piece of crap because they need to get three issues in on the new run, you know, it's harder it's harder to sell books, even if they've been consistently good. So, I mean, I I agree that, you know, it shouldn't necessarily matter if they're going to reboot um, if you're reading a good story. But if they're also going to, you know, bargain basement the talent to get this other stuff, you know, in line and gear, uh, that's yeah. kind of DC. Well, and I got I, I to gotta say, and maybe you guys will disagree with me here, I think comic fans who are buying a series and Tim you you know this just as well as any of us will buy the series they love regardless of the quality that's not true no that is that is so well okay so you drop thunderbolts after how many bad issues no no <clears throat> i'm currently reading thunderbolts i did not pick up this this uh recent issue Okay, so I've got a I've got a gap in my collection of Thunderbolts. Well, and I don't think no. I think you're an you're an outlier in general. I think general comic book fans would buy that issue if the, if, they, See, if it was buy. something they buy monthly. I I will give that usually it's I don't drop a title after the first bad issue. No, I don't drop yeah. a title, but I met you know it's like the the Christus Cage issues of Amazing Spider-Man. I did not enjoy that that first part of that story, so I did not pick up the second part, which was actually good. Yeah, which yeah. is on you. You're bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, and uh, what well, that says is I shouldn't have picked up the first issue. I should have picked up the second. Uh, but well, I mean, I think Paul's pointing to my 18 pounds of Teen Titans. I think is what he. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that's kind of fair. I mean, yeah. I hate having gaps in my collection. I hate missing part of a book. If something is bad and I know the next storyline is good, I sometimes do keep getting it. I haven't enjoyed The Boys in almost a year, but I know that it ends at issue 60, and I want to see how it ends. So I've still been getting it, and that's my own fault. Which I think is – it kind of begs the question, why are fans dropping the titles? 
You know, are are they just dropping it to save money until number one? Why are they not seeing? Because the the storylines that are all going on right now, the storylines will see completion. So I'm kind of curious. I mean, we're not dropping any titles. So I mean, like you, Aaron, you you I may not be picking up a flashpoint tie-in or something. Uh-huh. But I don't think I was on the dropping. I was on the fence about Red Robin, and I'm thinking about dropping it because I don't see the point in continuing at this point. Because I was already on the fence about it. Yeah, but see, I'm a lot less likely when I because I'm the kind of guy I have my pull list, yes, but about half the books I get in a week are things where I looked at it on the shelf and grabbed it and thought it looked cool. So if I look at a DC book and I would just grab it and think it looks cool, if I think the thing's being retconned, like I wouldn't grab a random Superman book right now, except I did this week. But you did. A, exactly. And Red Robin dropping because other than this week's because it was a other than this week's because it was a special book, I wouldn't grab a regular Superman book that's in current continuity, knowing it's going to be rebooted just off the shelf because it would seem pointless to me. Well, and if I was reading it regularly, I would still get it. Yes. But there's going to be less just you know random weekly traffic from people like that that don't do the pull list or they grab stuff outside of their pull list. Yeah, and I, I think that this kind of move on DC's part is <clears throat> it limits the audience that you're going to have for the retiring titles. You know, you, you may retain some of the readership, but you're certainly not going to add new readership during this time unless they're jumping on Flashpoint. But you know, Superman, I would not think is going to pick up fresh readership and people, you know, t- to get in under that grounded storyline. Just like Wonder Woman's not going to pick up new readership to wrap up the JMS storyline. Well, I think that I think that you're going to see, you know, some some leakage there on people, you know, uh, you know, leaving those titles. Um, I don't think you're going to see many people joining those titles until the reboot. I just don't think this is a growth period for DC. Well, and I, I'd say. That happened six months in on Superman and Wonder Woman on those storylines. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, but I use them as an example. I think that's true for most of their titles right now. I think people will jump to Flashpoint, and I think people will jump at the will jump onto the reboot. But I, I, the the current titles can only lose readership, in my opinion. Yeah. I don't think there's any room for growth there and until I, after the reboot. And I think, and I don't, and I could be wrong, and I, it would be interesting to hear some comments um, from our listeners, because I, I am curious, you know, for those who are dropping TC, DC books, are you dropping them because of the quality? I mean, or are you dropping them because you feel they won't matter come the reboot? Because, uh, you know, the Red Robin thing that Wayne was talking about, you know, it's easier to drop it because the book has kind of sucked for the last eight months. Whereas, you know, something that's been pretty good, you know, I would stick through to the you know to the end you know because I want to know the end of the story. Oh yeah. Um, and so I'm I'm curious as to why people would drop a book just because they felt it necessarily. You know, I I wouldn't drop a book just because I knew it was getting rebooted in six months. I would want the end of the storyline that I'm reading if I was invested in that storyline. But that's just me as a reader. I mean, I I don't. I I guess maybe there are people who feel differently who feel that you know I could drop a story mid storyline. Even though I'm liking it, just because it's going to be retconned. But then I don't know why I'm buying. But like those people wouldn't be buying any Flashpoint tie-ins either, because none of those are going to stick around. You know, those are all kind of Elseworlds books. Well, you know, from from my perspective, I'm willing to drop if the story or the art becomes second rate. You know, if the, if the quality isn't there, I'm willing to drop the book. Or if the price point has gotten ridiculous, as in the case of uh, the recent issue of Thunderbolts. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we have. 
we have complained about the Fear Itself tie-ins and the quality of those. And then with them giving us a four ninety nine issue of Thunderbolts, I was like, screw this. You know, so those are reasons that I'll drop off. Now, I, I actually like having a finite, definitive ending to a storyline. You know, and it's kind of nice to be able to say, boom, got the whole thing. You know, uh, not and, and I'm not I don't have a great big collector sense, but it's nice to being able to have the entire story and be able to read it from beginning to end. Yeah. You know, so that's not something that turns me off. What turns me off, and then I'll shut up about it because I think I've, I've beaten this horse to death. What turns me off about how DC is transitioning the current titles into the reboot is that I don't think enough work has been done to wrap up existing storylines. Well, and, and and I'm done. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Tim. Oh, I was just going to ask Paul. So, you know, in that in that conversation, you know, the the short term sales are falling. What what percent do you put on the retailers versus what percent do you put on DC's I you know decision to reboot and have you know and pull their talent? I, I I think to a certain extent, DC. I think it's a fifty fifty thing. I think because I, I honestly feel that way, and I feel that way about most comic decisions. I mean, you know, if if a company creates, it's not like movies. Movie theaters don't have that interaction with their customers that comic book stores do. Um, you know, but you know, I, I think to a certain extent, DC when they announce something to the major media, Superman number one, Action Comics number one, Detective Comics number one, Batman number one, coming in September. That's how you announce it in the USA Today's of the world. Okay, um, but on Newsarama, on Comic Book Resources, on IdeologyOfManus.com, you need to tell the fans, despite the fact that we're re- you know that we're going back to number one, these stories will be rebooted. These stories are continuing, and you you know because you need to have that interaction with the fans. And I feel that the point of these DC Road shows is to tell the retailers that information so that the retailers can bring it to the fans can bring it to their store to their to their um customers and you know and and tell them that information so that you know when someone puts you know when the retailer hands someone their pull list and it's um or the green lanterns part 10 and the fans like oh well this isn't going to matter in a couple months the retailer can say no no it is you know green lanterns continuing the storyline you know that i i think it, it i think it's the responsibility of both you know as as a company producing the 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 you know producing the books and as businesses trying to sell the books i feel it's responsible for both parties to you know to to, to keep the buyers properly informed i agree personally i think dc should have been expecting the short term drop in you know in the hopes of the long term gain yeah. they should have been expecting this to begin with and while I do think that there is something on the retailers there, the the idea of DC because it it really comes off as DC completely putting the blame entirely on the retailers for their drop sales. Yeah. They should have expected this. They should have known it was coming, a short term loss for a long term gain, and they should have worded it better to the retailers. Well, and, and they should be sucking up to the retailers if they want the retailers to do this, you know, on the ground promotion for them because. 
they're not doing anything to help the retailers right now. The same day digital is going to cost the retailers some money uh, and the retailers have no incentive not to push people towards other companies that aren't doing the same thing. Well, think about because, it in these terms. You know, DC has known about the reboot for however long DC's known about the reboot. Now, I assume they've known about it for more than three months. Maybe it's been six months. Maybe it's been a year. I don't know. They, But they have lived with the reboot notion from the time of its inception. Retailers are just hearing about it. They weren't included on the strategy at the get-go. And certainly, DC's making the right move going out on these roadshows and, and pitching to retailers you know, how to sell this. But there needed to have been some kind of, of communication to retailers about, hey, this big thing is coming. Here's some tips on how to, how to move your product in the intervening months. Well, and to a certain and, extent, and, they sent that out. Oh, go ahead, Tim. I'm sorry. I was going to say, and it's not like those those retailers didn't put in their their solicit orders two months ago, not yeah. knowing the landscape of the, exactly you know, what's going to happen. Well, and you know, to to Wayne's point about digital driving business away from retailers, I don't think that's true. I think that the comic book hobby only has a couple of hundred thousand regular readers, people like you and I who have pull lists and are in their comic shop every week. There's only a couple of hundred thousand of us. Digital, same date digital downloads is going to allow more people to have access to the hobby that we love, to have access to all of these great stories, all of these great characters. And I think when you increase that level of exposure, that only helps the retailer. You know, because and one of the things I think DC ought to do, particularly with a couple of either their first issues in the reboot or perhaps a reboot preview, is give that shit away on iTunes. Well, you know, you know, and to a certain extent, they're doing some of that. I mean, not giving it away. You know, and I'm not a retailer. I know DC has announced tons of retailer (laughs) incentives surrounding the reboot, including you know the you know regarding um, participation in the the package deal of the digital copy of Justice League number one. Uh, I, I think, I don't know. I, uh, I, I feel like they, they I, I don't, again, I'm not a retailer. I don't know if they're, if the incentives are worth it. Um, but I, but I know that there, they, there are incentives out there. And I, I think to a certain extent, um, the digital copy packaged with the comic book, I got I'm going to be, Upfront and honest with you, if my comic shop sells the package deal on some of these books, specifically uh-huh. Justice League number one, Batman number one, all of the you know the, some of the number one titles, not all of them, but on some of them, the ones that I'm uh-huh. definite on, not yeah. iffy on, I'm going to buy the package deal because Absolutely. it's only a buck extra for the digital yep. copy. Yep. I still okay. think the price point's wrong, but I'm I'm interested in that as well. Yeah, I would buy it for the first one just to try out the digital thing, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't do that regularly at all. Well, and I personally, you know, coming from the school of uh, certain RPG publishers, I think the digital copy should be free if I buy the print copy. But I understand we're in a new world. I'm willing to try it out. Uh, But I I am jazzed about it. And I think digital uh, day and date is fantastic. Yay on DC for making that happen. The point I'm trying to make about, about digital availability on day and date is that you know, you've got somebody out there who's able to download a comic as opposed to having to drive to the, to the uh, retail store. They're able to enjoy that comic that we're reading physically, and they're able to go, wow, you know, this is great. And maybe there's an ad in there for you know, go see your local comic shop or whatever. And that, I mean, 
I think there is a whole population of people who don't know about the existence of direct market stores. Or if they do know that you know there's a comic shop out there in the world, they don't know where they are. You know, they don't know, and they, they they've never had that experience. So maybe this the digital availability is bringing folks into the retail store. Yeah, I'm I'm with Wayne on that. I mean, I feel like you you are gonna the majority. Well, okay, you're gonna get online sales from people like that, Aaron, but. So, say out of the 100,000 comic book readers, 3% of them decide, I'm lazy, I can just get the app, it'll go directly, I don't have to drive, I don't have to deal with the <laughs> comic book store or employees. That That's a significant amount of sales that you're going to lose. Well, and I kind of feel like that's what's going to happen. So, I mean, yeah, you you know, DC might see more sales because of this online capability but i i think it's going to hurt retailers for sure well and i think it's on retailers when and i think you're right i think there are some retailers that's going to impact negatively like for instance el camino comics if andrew had the opportunity to buy all of his comics electronically and be assured that he was going to receive all the books he wanted to receive every week he might be more inclined to go digital than to make the trip out to uh, el camino comics El Camino Comics and hope to God that his issue of Amazing Spider-Man is there. Yep, which is exactly why if I were El Camino Comics, I would be pushing the books that aren't doing that. Yeah. I'd be pushing the Marvel, the Boom, the every other studio other than DC because a shop like that is going to be hurt. Yeah, but I think a shop like the shop that I go to, Zeus Comics, which is well-stocked, creates a community environment, the staff is knowledgeable, fantastic customer service. I think those kind of stores can only benefit from this because it's going to broaden the exposure to the of the hobby to people who haven't been in it before. Well, I think it'll be interesting come the end of the year to maybe have a conversation with those retailers and ask them. Uh, if it's been if it's been a negative impact yeah. or not, and, yes. and I do think it's a wake up call to retailers. I think there are some folks out there who've been running their comic shop like it's their basement, you know, and you know, pra- engage in no merchandising, no community building, you know, uh, they're they're eating their uh, their uh, bologna right out of the package, Ugh. hot dog, yeah. <laughs> they're hot dog, yeah. hot dog, sorry, and they you know. and they and they suck at their jobs. Yeah. yeah. I mean, those guys, this is a wake-up call. This is an opportunity to get your shit together or go ahead and close your doors. Yeah. I mean, like, I went to a comic shop yesterday. Um, and I'm in Philly. My comic shop guy said, hey, try, check out Brave New Worlds if you're going to be up in Philly. I went to this comic shop. So you walk in. They have an original art exhibit of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles art. Like and you, you know, I mean, like Eastman and Laird art. Or? No, no, like, 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 like uh, I mean, it's original art, but it's not of Eastman. It's not Eastman and Laird art. It's you know, it's fans and stuff oh, like okay. that. But you know, it's it, it, an art show, and the theme was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. How about that? Gotcha. I um, and you know, you walk into the shop. It is well stocked, well organized. Tons of comics, graphic novels, um, toys, and, and memorabilia. I, I, I got to be honest. I walked in, and I was like. I really, I really kind of questioned it because I hate going to a comic shop when I'm out of town, and it sucks. You're right. Because I, I don't like walking out of a comic shop not buying anything. Yeah, like the place I went that didn't even take cards. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like that. I spent a hundred dollars, 
at this comic shop because wow. that it because it was so well organized and they had so much cool stuff you know in your face. I mean, they had a, a, a full um, shelf of different glasses, comic book character glasses. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, at, at least fifty different characters on these glasses. I mean, I was just enthralled with everything I saw, and that was putting stuff back on the shelf. I still spent a hundred dollars, and yeah. I feel like there are comic shops out there like that. Yeah. Um, you know, but the the problem is, you know, people get this stereotypical comic shop, this El Camino Comics, you know, and so people are afraid of comic shops. You know, I, what it would be interesting is when this day and day digital thing happens, um, if uh, there, there, it is either an ad in the comic, or an ad, you know, uh, on the site, you know, depending on your region of of your local comic stores. I, I think that would be interesting, you know, it, you, something other than the comic shop locator, because you know, yes. comicbookshoplocator dot com or whatever is not enough. Um, yeah. And I think there needs to be an ad for a specific comic shop with a link to that comic shop's website, and you need to see that the comic shop is not someone's basement it's actually a well-organized you know shop yeah 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 i i uh, I absolutely agree with you paul but have we beaten this topic to death should we talk i think we have comics so let me say something about this week's comics yes this is the week that if you if you have the right cover art if you have the right elements on your comic book cover i will buy your comic that's what i'm saying and nothing (laughs) is more true (laughs) Then this week's issue of Secret Avengers Fear Itself, I don't read Secret Avengers. I am down on the Fear Itself tie-ins, but you got yourself some motherfucking Valkyrie on that cover. Oh, yeah. I, I, I bought this book. It was one of the first books I read this week. Loved it beginning to end. This was full-on Valkyrie action. You had a story uh, taking place from her origin, as well as a story taking place during Fear Itself. In a lot of respects, this didn't even have to be a Fear Itself tie-in. This could have just been a bad day in superherodom, and uh, it being a Valkyrie story. Loved this book. And it just, I gotta tell you, this just solidifies for me that with the right writing team, Valkyrie can have her own book. Oh, and with the right writing team, you can have a decent Fear Itself tie-in, apparently, yeah, too. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Like, and I know this, you are absolutely right. This is only marginally tied into Fear Itself, just in the general fact that they're the villain in the in the, that causes the situation. But right. a, a, absolutely right. You, you were, you, you know, you could have had anybody there. So I, I think it's a, it's a good tie-in for the reason that it, you know, you you can see the same things that you're seeing in other books, but this is a this is a done in one kind of tale. Yeah, and you know, just judging from uh, just judging from what they what they're soliciting next week, it seems like it seems like they're going to do that through the whole run. You know, this Secret Avenger, this is their Fear itself story. Right, and that's cool. And you know, I I was really jazzed for this team when it came out, and I. You know, the reason it got dropped, in my opinion, was that I, I, I wasn't I wasn't digging the writing. But I mean, you know, <laughs> you know, I didn't like Brubaker's writing on this. But you know, Nick Spencer, you know, oh yeah, on the other end of because I don't I'm not really a big I'm not a real big Black Widow fan, which is the next book. But you know, if they have a Beast Fear itself tie in in you know a month and a half, I I might be down. You know, so. 
it might it might be but yeah this this book was awesome yeah you know nick spencer uh you know on on the writing and scott eaton on pencils tore this book up i i i could not have been happier i was so thrilled at how good this book was i just just loved it eat you know sop it up with a biscuit that's what i'm saying excellent that's <laughs> kind of a, a gross it, metaphor there well you know you know what my the favorite part was is that they've got all they've got the troops together they've got valkyrie on board and the and the and the you know the general's like would you like to say a few words and she's like most of you are gonna die today and then it's just a panel of just oh okay yeah yeah Yeah, she's she she is not what you would call a motivational speaker no (laughs) (laughs) yeah this this book rocks so hard Really dug it. And, you know, and and continuing on my theme of awesome covers this week, Mighty Thor number three. I almost bought that just because of the cover. I looked at it. I saw that Galactus shadow and I picked it up and I flipped through it and saw the Galactus didn't show up until the end. And that's why I didn't get it. But I almost got it just because of the cover. Yeah, the cover was pretty damn awesome. You've got, uh, you know, Thor facing up to the sun with, you know, this big turbulent sky red sky clouds the whole bit and just the silhouette of galactus and god that just looked awesome and i gotta say wayne you missed out because you know what makes thor mighty aaron he gets a lot of ass (laughs) this is true in every issue of mighty thor thor gets some ass yeah, he's he's been uh, he's been uh, banging Sif pretty hard, uh, you know. <laughs> he needs warming. Um, it's issue. cold out there. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. Uh, just an observation, uh, you know, because I don't remember Thor getting so much play before. In fact, I don't yeah, remember I mean, Thor getting play ever. <laughs> and I, I don't recall us getting to see Sif quite so naked, quite so frequently before. And that's okay. And okay. no, I, I, this is not a complaint. When Olivier Copiel is doing the pencils, this is not a complaint. Yeah. And that was one of my favorite scenes. I mean, this book, okay, Mighty Thor number three. You get Thor versus Silver Surfer. You get Loki trying to do some kind of, I don't know, spell, obviously. He, he needs a lock of Sif's hair. And, and that was one of my favorite scenes of the book because, you know, Sif is lying there naked and she attacks him with a sword. Uh-huh. And then you get the Asgardians running off to do battle with Galactus while Volstag does battle with the people of Broxton. It's just a series of awesome scenes, one after the well, other. And that there's this fantastic page where Silver Surfer goes up to the moon to talk to Galactus. Oh, yeah. And Galactus is just sitting there on the moon. <laughs> I mean, you know, just, you know. Sitting there next to where, you know, the Apollo moon lander is and the American flag up there on the move, just hanging out. <laughs> and one thing, and I, I don't know, I, I'm not 100% um, familiar with Galactus. I mean, you uh-huh. know, I, I've seen him in, in Fantastic Four and things like that, but I've always, I've always imagined him as kind of genius level smarts. Yeah. And that is not the way he's been portrayed in this book. He, he seems more like a, a big dumb lug to mm-hmm. me. In, in this yeah, and you're right. He he's usually you know portrayed as you know supernaturally intelligent. Okay, and, I, and that. that I just wanted to make sure that that was my understanding of the character because that is not the way he you know in the first issue he's he's sitting there and he's drooling while he's asleep, 
yeah. um, you know, in this issue, he's just kind of sitting on the moon. He's just kind of silent throughout the entire book. And yeah. why? I mean, don't get me wrong. I like the characterization, but it's a little different than what I've been familiar with of Galactus in the past. Yeah. Yeah. I, this book is just beautifully drawn. Story is wonderfully told. I, I just fantastic. Yeah, it's I, just fantastic. It, it, this is and I, I feel bad that Tim is not buying this book because this is the Thor book that we've been waiting for for a long time. This is just as good as anything on the JMS run, if not in, better in certain aspects. Well, and in, and in many respects, it's indistinguishable from the JMS run. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, you could you could go from the last issue that JMS did to the first issue of the Mighty Thor and you would feel no change in the tenor of the story. Um I, I, this, this is the the Thor book that we wanted, and uh, wow, yay, yay! Did you guys, did you guys just compare JMS's run to to goddamn Matt Fraction? Did I, uh, did I hear that? <laughs> I, I got to be honest; these three issues of the Mighty Thor are that damn good. Yeah, they really are. Oh my god! I, yeah, I need to cleanse you with thunder. Yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> but you know, and and thankfully. Outside of the fear itself tie-ins, despite Thor being such a main character in the fear itself book. Yeah. Um, now, across the pond, we picked up some of the Flashpoint tie-ins these last couple of weeks. Um, you know, they, There are a ton of number ones this month, and uh, the first one we're going to talk about is Kid Flash Lost, starring Bart Allen uh, by Sterling Gates and Oliver Gnome. And uh, Aaron, so- what would you think of this one? Well, okay, so, so let's let's do the rundown real quick. Of the people currently in the Flashpoint story mm-hmm. who remember the, you know, current DC continuity, or continuity if you prefer, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, we have Barry Allen, who doesn't have his powers, mm-hmm. and we have Booster Gold, right? Yes. Okay. In this issue of, of uh, the Flashpoint Kid Flash Lost... Kid, Fla- excuse me, Kid Flash or uh, Bart Allen also remembers yes. the original DC continuity. So, um, you know, the the list is growing of who has knowledge of what's gone before. And it, I, I don't know necessarily Booster Gold, but to a certain extent, it seems like it's people who are lost in time. Correct. Because, you know, Bart Allen was lost in time. Barry Allen had died and came back. You know, so they, they had kind of played into that aspect. You know, Booster Goal, or, you know, the, the, the characters have something to do with time. Um, you know, except that Kid Flash in the uh, Flashpoint universe, this actually takes place back in his native time period. The 3100s. Right. right. Uh, where, Metro- where Metropolis has been entirely taken over by Brainiac. Um, who is using it in a very Matrix-esque way with people in pods and stuff like that. Yeah, that, that seemed a little derivative. Yeah. Uh, especially when they tell you, I've seen this in a movie. <laughs> yeah. Now, I, I've, I, I generally like Sterling Gates' writing, and I enjoyed this. I, th- I thought it was enjoyable. Um, I didn't think it was a great book, particularly since I've got no investment with the uh, – chick on the motorcycle well and that's because you're not for those who read the flash series by jeff johns and francis manipul um this book features features patty spivett who was a a a big character in the final storyline on that title and i can't tell if she remembers the timeline or not um she seems like she does she seems like she remembers 
the modern DC universe because she references events from the Flash number twelve, right. um, which was the last issue of that title. So it does seem like she, uh, along with Bart Allen and Barry Allen, remember what happened. So maybe it's you know certain folks in Central City. I, I'm not entirely sure, but yeah. if you read the Flash titles. This is very much a continuation of some of the stuff that you got in those last couple of issues of Flash. So I probably enjoyed it a little bit more than you because I was familiar with the characters that they were referencing. Yeah. And that's fair. But like I said, I enjoyed it. I'll pick up the rest of this series. Uh, I, I think it was a good tie-in to uh, Flashpoint. Yeah, I, 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 I quite enjoyed it. The art was decent. You know, Sterling Gates is a pretty decent writer. Um, so that definitely worth picking up. Now, something uh, I'm a little disappointed is only a one-shot in the Flashpoint storyline is Grod of War. I know, right? Because it sets yeah. it up for a, a good series. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, you know, because Grodd, Grodd is essentially your uh, uh, Alexander the Great who has conquered all the lands he can see and wept because there's nothing else to kill. So he's decided, hmm, what about those Atlanteans? <laughs> uh I, I thought this book was great. I mean, Grod of War is, is just brutal and, you know, uh, lots of just good, you know, monkey on monkey violence. Yeah, who was and, that uh, that character that he killed? I'm, I know it was the other monkey in the DC universe, the other smart ape. Oh, it was uh, Kongorilla. Kongorilla, that's who it was. Kongorilla. And in, in this reality, Kongorilla, because, you know, he saw the, uh, the wisdom of an ape-led society – killed his human self because you know remember at one point you know Kongorilla could be a person or he could be the gorilla and he his consciousness moved between those two bodies well he went ahead and killed his human self you know so that he could remain a in his Kongorilla form and be fully monkey all the time and he it was passionate in his uh, support of Gorilla Grodd and Gorilla Grodd just kills him <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, who do, who doesn't see the the you know the wisdom of an ape led reality? I mean, exactly. 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 And so you know the, the the Flashpoint universe is not a very nice place to be for humans apparently. Yes. Because the Atlanteans have taken over. Um, I think it's France. Um, well, and yeah, a, yeah, a large uh, piece of the. They've taken over. I think mainland Europe. Yeah. Whereas the Amazons have taken over the UK. Yeah. And now Africa has been entire is entirely under Grodd's rule. Yeah. Um, just not not a good place to be a regular human. But uh, <laughs> you know, but Grodd of War, you know, it, it, it it's a serious book. You know, there there yeah. is no fun in it, uh, despite the fact that it's you know about a, a giant talking ape. But damn, it is it is, it's a good book. Yeah. And uh, you know, I am disappointed it's only a one shot, but. I hope, because at the end of the book, it, it uh, spoiler warnings on. Um, it, it seems as if Grodd is getting set to make an advance on. I think it's the Atlanteans, mm -hmm. yeah. and um, and I th I wonder if that'll play into something we're going to see in the Flashpoint title proper. Yeah, I think so. I think that's where this is headed. You know, I, I think that this was to set up the activity over in in the main story. Uh, for Flashpoint, but golly, this was such a good book. It really was. And I don't, this was written by Sean Ryan. I don't know that I'm familiar with Sean Ryan. Yeah, no, nor am I familiar with the artist, but they, they did a bang yeah. up job together. Yeah. That, yeah, it's a beautiful book, as beautiful as it can be with, you know, the ripping off of heads and, and whatnot. Yeah, it's violent. Uh, yeah, it is. There's it, This is a bloody, bloody book. <laughs> totally dug it. Now, uh, one another book that I enjoyed. 
despite my disappointment with the title. Um, <laughs> now, I, I thought it was Wonder Woman and the Furries, but it's Wonder Woman and the Furies. Yes, yes. And, um, you know. And, you know, that is a title that's a perfect example of how a bad character design can cost sales. Because I'm reading Wonder Woman right now. You would think that the Wonder Woman tie-ins to Flashpoint that I'm loving, I would be picking up. But the moment I saw her costume, her her new design in the actual pages of Flashpoint, that killed any interest I had in the Wonder Woman books. I haven't touched any of the Flashpoint tie-ins with her in it, whether it be Aquaman or this one. Because her design looks so stupid that I don't want to read it. Well, well that's a shame. It's a funny story because my I, I picked up Aquaman and, and the the Wonder Woman tie-in together, and my wife, who, you know, maybe one out of every twenty books I bring home, she'll flip through. She read she read both of them like in one sitting, and she's like, "Well, where's the next one?" I'm like, well, <laughs> "It's not come out in a month," and she's like, "Oh, how did they expect to sell these things when you got to wait a month to read the rest of it?" Like, this comic well, book thing's never gonna work out. <laughs> like, well, I'm a I'm a chump, but she's she, she, bam. I'm like I I never seen her read more than one in a row. So we know she finds out it's part one of like three or something. That's why I told her. So <laughs> I I I dug it, and I was kind of surprised that because it didn't tie into you know a backlog of history that you know. She did ask me, well, who's that? I'm like, I have no idea who that person is in Aquaman, honey. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Well, and the thing is, you don't need to know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you don't really need to know. Everything is kind of presented in the books. I mean, it's it's Easter eggs for fans who know the characters. But, I mean, right. I generally felt – I don't know much about Aquaman or Wonder Woman, and I didn't feel lost reading either of the books. Yeah. And both books are really strong. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 I'm really enjoying these I, – I, I, if you go back to when they first announced Flashpoint, it's like, I'm not buying any Flashpoint books. I'm really enjoying these Flashpoint books. And both Aquaman and Wonder Woman, and I keep referencing them because they're very closely tied together. Yes. Um, you know, they're both told they're very similar also with jumps, you know, jumps in time. Um, you know, they're, they're kind of showing the history. You know, these aren't taking place right now while Barry Allen's in the Flashpoint universe. They're kind of elaborating on how the world got to be the way it is with Wonder Woman being such a bad person, Aquaman being such a bad person, you know, what happened to Europe and England. And, you know, it, so it's kind of like this tragic love story. And at the same time, there's political intrigue and, and murder. And, you know, they're not your typical superhero books and they're damn good. It's very, it's very, it's not, I'm not comparing the writing to Shakespeare, but it's that kind of story. Yeah. Yeah. And and what I will say is, although Aquaman sort of jumped around in time, Wonder Woman was basically all in way earlier time. Right. Yeah. So uh, the one the one criticism I would have is part of the reason I wanted to pick up this book was I wanted to see Great Britain under Wonder Woman's rule, and we're going to get there. I I know we're going to get there, but it's only three issues. So now I'm I'm invested in four you know 14 years ago or whatever. Right. How are they going to tell that story and then get it up to current events and then carry it forward to what is inevitably going to be an Aquaman-Wonder Woman fight? Sure. Well, i got to be so, honest, Tim. You should have picked up Lois Lane and the Resistance because then um, you can see no. Wonder – you could see um, England under under Wonder Woman's rule and Lois Lane leading the Resistance against it. Good book. 
<laughs> but you don't. Not well, let's talk about a book that wasn't so good. <laughs> yeah, what a piece of crap. Yeah, um, the the first I think it's the first book in the Flashpoint uh, run that I have not enjoyed, and I I picked up the book with the uh, Scott I guess it's the Artie and Sioff cover. Oh yeah, and it looks good cover. Re- it's a, it's a really a very attractive cover. I didn't bother flipping through it. I was just sold by the rest of the quality that we've experienced under Flashpoint. Um, it's reverse flash. It's labeled as the first issue, one of three, but it's actually mislabeled. It is a one shot. Um, this book is ass. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the artwork in here is just horrible. Um, you know, I, I thankfully did flip through it cause I was planning on buying it. I just picked it up, had it in my hand and I flipped through it before getting to the checkout and put it back. The, uh, like you're saying, the art was horrible, but looking through it, I don't think there was anything new in this book. I, and I don't believe there is. I think yeah. this was just a, a little bit more uh, detail on what Reverse Flash has been up to. But I think that you've really been able to extrapolate most of this from the Barry Allen story in the main Flashpoint title. Yeah. Well, it was really just retelling what's happened. I mean, maybe for someone who hasn't read any of the Flash stuff and doesn't know who the character is, that would be new for them. But it's not new material. Yeah. Well, and not. I got to be honest. I thought this was going to explain the Flashpoint universe because I. Yeah. I think what they're trying to set up is that Reverse Flash is kind of the Patsy, but I don't think it's Reverse Flash that actually caused the universe, oh, because right. the murder of um, Barry Allen's mom that was part of Flash Rebirth. Right. Um. You know that that has nothing to do with the Flashpoint universe, and you know the his best friend as a kid. I mean I, that that character doesn't. It doesn't seem like doing away with Barry Allen's best friend as a kid is going to cause the Flashpoint universe. Um, so I get the impression this was kind of like, I don't know, this almost seems like a catalog book because it doesn't, it doesn't take place in the Flashpoint universe. Um, you know, it it specifically references events that happen in the main DC universe, including, you know, Barry Allen snapping reverse Flash's neck, which, you know, Barry Allen, the Flash never existed in the Flashpoint universe. Right. So I, I, you know, this just, I I thought this was going to explain it, but I'm, I'm further getting the impression that reverse flash is not the cause of flashpoint. Yeah. Yeah, This was not a good book. Yeah. Not worth it. Yeah. Not a good book at all. So stepping outside (laughs) of flashpoint and back into fear itself, Tim, Wayne, Aaron, you guys are still reading Avengers Academy. What'd you think of number 15? I, I will have to step out of this conversation because I haven't read it yet, but I'm going to allow Tim and Wayne to talk amongst themselves. Holy shit, this was the best book. <laughs> Whole, like, I haven't read a better book this year. It um, was the only thing having to do with Fear Itself that I've enjoyed so far. Wow. Um, I, yeah, so... This is a Fear Itself Avengers Academy tie-in, um, and what you really see is you you see this you know a superhero telling of the sending the young men and women to war. I I do have to say the melodrama was cranked up to about fourteen in this. It was the melodrama was a little overdone for me, but it works in this title. Yeah, but I think the melodrama fits because it, it, I wouldn't buy it if this was like, you know, the Avengers going out and going, oh, my God, I can't believe we're – look at all the destruction. This is Hank Pym's – this is Hank Pym's like 
these are his little baby, you know, chicks that they're going to have to kick it out of the nest into like the buzzsaw. Like, yeah, they've had missions before and yeah, they fought Korvac, but it wasn't really them fighting Korvac. This is this, you know, this is this group was like, you know, you are you you are swimming in the deep water now. And I I I I bought I I licked up every piece of the melodrama. I understand what you're saying, Wayne, but I really felt like that was organic. Hank Pym and Tiger's reaction to, you know, what was going on. Like when, when Tiger, what was it? When metal killed that person and Tiger had to like, you know, tell him that he had to get his head back in the game or whatever. Wow. I, you know, I, I can't, I loved that conversation. I love the uh, basically her reaction in her head of, you know, well, she tells him, do you think you can do it again? And she sends him back to fighting. And then in her mind, she's just cursing herself for what she's just done to this kid, making him a killer. Yeah. Uh, and like, I've loved all the Avengers Academy books, uh, you know, you know, all year, but this, this is, this is the shining. I mean, the, you know, between this and the prom issue, these last three or four books of Avengers Academy has yeah. been some of the best, the best reading in comic books that I've ever read. You know, and for the metal thing, I mean, he obviously didn't intend to kill anyone there. I think, like me, he thought that was just a robot. He, I don't think he even knew there was a person inside until after it was over. And that's one of the reasons it hit him so hard because, you know, it's a robot. You crush robots, but there's a person inside. Yeah. So de- definitely book of the week. And, you know, like I said, but if, if I had to pick a book of the year, this would be the book of the year so far is Avengers Academy 15. It is the only Fear Itself related book that I've I've read that I've enjoyed. I uh, I am done with all the Fear Itself tie-ins. I am I'm glad I didn't not pick this one up because I almost didn't. I mean, like I said, I was I am not going to pick up any Fear Itself tie-ins. I'm done with Fear Itself, the main series. So I almost didn't get this, but I thought you know I'm going to give Christos Gage the benefit of the doubt. I've loved everything he's done up to this point with uh, Avengers Academy. Unlike the one book I didn't pick up from Avengers Academy, this one wasn't, you know, outrageously priced because I wasn't going to pick up the five ninety nine, seven ninety nine, no. whatever it was annual. That just didn't happen. But this was just a normal, normal price book. So I, I will give him the benefit of the doubt for that. No, and there's a lot of us that get Thunderbolts that had a four ninety nine Thunderbolts in our box that we said forget that noise too. Yeah. But between this and Secret Avengers, I, I can say that, you know, although I'm not a big fan of tie-ins, when they're when they're done right, they they do add something to the story. Yeah. And I, I think that we can say that with the Flashpoint books too. So so I guess the point is is that if you've got a if you've got a writer that you trust and even if he's throwing a curveball situation, I think you know. I think it's worth giving him the benefit of the doubt. So we have established that if you put Valkyrie on the cover, I'll buy the book, and if you put Galactus on the cover, I'll buy the book. <laughs> we have also established now that if you put Crypto the Super Dog on the cover, I will in fact buy the book. <laughs> and. Uh, and I, I'm joining you with that. I mean, the <laughs> last, if I remember correctly, the last random issue of Superman that I had picked up, that, you know, because I wasn't reading the regular storyline, also had Crypto on the cover. Yeah. 
Ah. It, you put him on the cover, I'm going to buy the book. Yeah. I, I, I hope we don't lose him in the reboot, but I think we probably will. Yeah, I think we're going to. Um, but issue 712 of Superman is a break in the grounded story. Uh, this issue is by Kurt Busick and Rick Leonardi, and it actually tells the story post-Infinite Crisis of uh, crypto dealing with the loss of Superboy. And it was interesting how this all came about, because this wasn't supposed to be the book that came out this month. Right. There was a solicited Superman book that DC at the last minute pulled for content reasons. Mm-hmm. It was supposed to be a team up with a Muslim hero, and the re- the stated reasons that we've heard are either there was there was some sort of issue with the content is why DC says they pulled it that it didn't fit their current uh, the theme of Superman, mm-hmm. and I've heard two things about that. I've heard it was either because of the the Muslim hero storyline, which I don't believe that's the case. Or the other reason is that it started off with Superman saving a cat from a tree, and they thought that was really cheesy. Hmm. And to be honest, I think that's probably what really happened there, yeah. is they thought there was something too cheesy about it that we would have actually enjoyed. Well, and the Superman book you guys read was originally solicited years ago, right after, right after Infinite yeah. Crisis. This book has been solicited and pulled at least two or three times. You know, and to be honest, I hated the artwork in this book. So I really did just buy it because I had crypto on the cover and it was a crypto story. You know, it's not even like I flipped it open. I was like, wow, this looks incredible. No, it as much as I love this issue, I don't like this art at all. Well, and I and still got it just because it's crypto. And I really enjoy the Rick Leonardi art. I think that I, I love uh, his style, you know, and, and if I recall correctly, he was a Spider-Man 2099 artist and I loved him there as well. That's correct. But but uh I, 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 this story worked. Um, you know, there's very little dialogue because you know it's all from Crypto's point of view, and you know Crypto gets hit really hard by Superboy Prime in Infinite Crisis, and he doesn't get to be there when everything else goes down. So Superboy uh, dies at the end of Infinite Crisis, and now Crypto's out looking for him, and it's just it's it's a sad story. And oh yeah. And it's wonderfully told and paced. And, you know, for anybody who who has a dog, you know, you know how your dog will, you know, look around for you if he doesn't know where you are. And uh, and this is exactly what Crypto's doing. And so, you know, this this story really is for the dog lover <laughs> because I, I see my own dogs in this story. Yeah. My, I, I mean, when he realizes that Superboy's dead, that howl that's heard around you know, the miles world. around the yeah. world. It, and then yeah. Superman disappears. Yeah. Because this is when Superman went missing because he, you know, after Infinite Crisis, he had that right. year of no powers. Yeah. So he doesn't even have Superman and the dog has no one. I mean, it is so that last panel got me. Yeah. It's just it's just a really strong story, and I saw a lot of bitching online about it. You know that oh, you know I got this crappy crypto story instead of my crappy grounded story. Um, I, I thought this book was fantastic. I've seen a lot of other people that did the same thing we did. They just bought it because crypto's on the cover. Yeah. I, you just, know, what I love is early on, Superboy is trying to play frisbee with crypto, and the the little plastic frisbee just doesn't work. Right. So he grabs a Smallville manhole cover, 
So I'm envisioning someone walking down the street in Smallville and falling through the manhole at this point. Because mm-hmm. there's no cover on it anymore. Because Crypto's <laughs> playing Frisbee with the manhole cover. Well, it seems a little irresponsible for Superboy to be tossing around a manhole cover, though. I mean, because, you know, my dogs sometimes get distracted when uh, you're playing Frisbee with them. And the Frisbee will just go hit the ground as opposed to them going and catching it. You know, there are people down there. You know, and if they get hit by a, a manhole cover, that just seems a little irresponsible to me. Just saying. That last page, though, was so sad. Crypto, since Crypto doesn't have Superboy anymore and Superman's gone, he flies off into space onto an asteroid with that manhole cover sitting after him. And that it's just such a sad look on his face. I can envision that look on my dog's face laying there. Yeah. No, it's the the whole the whole book. I just I, I absolutely loved it. I thought it was fantastic. Well, do you guys think that Toby the Spider Dog is going to be missing Ultimate Spider Man now that he's dead? Um, I was unfamiliar that there was a Toby the Spider Dog. <laughs> there is now. I <laughs> That's just because there's it. not. Oh, okay. Well, and then I'm going to say no. Oh. Your your fictitious dog isn't going to be missing Spider Ultimate the death of Ultimate Spider Man and you know Paul I just feel like you you just cheapened the sacrifice made by Ultimate Peter Parker I, I, he blew himself up he did not blow himself up <laughs> I'm just saying I, he, I Ultimate Spider Man 160 came out uh-huh. this week in which Spider Man blows himself up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we may have read different books, Paul. He made serious mistakes in the fight, and he paid for it. That's part of the point of the story. I mean, right from the very beginning, the bullet he took was never meant to kill Captain America. Punisher was shooting Captain America's knee in the hopes that he would then be taken down. And Spider-Man jumps in the way and takes that bullet. That was not a killing shot to begin with. At a fight that Captain America told him not to be at. Yeah. And then he he wakes up in this issue. He wakes up Human Torch, the guy with fire, to fight Green Goblin, the guy that absorbs fire. Yeah. And then as you point out, you know, Paul, he grabs this truck and smashes it on Green Goblin and it explodes. And that that again, it may have taken Goblin out, but it's another mistake. I mean, the whole point of this story arc has been. He's paying for the mistakes he's making in these fights, and he makes the pays the ultimate price. Yeah. So, Paul, you've not been reading the story, but you picked up the very last issue of it. I did, and so of course my my opinion of the t- the book the book is kind of I guess it's kind of a moot point because I have not been reading the Ultimate Spider Man books um, in pretty much I don't know uh, I I read the I read a lot of the first run. I read uh, a good portion of the beginning of this run, and uh, when I say this run, I mean when it changed to Ultimate Comics Spider-Man Post Ultimatum. Yeah, and so I, uh, you know, I decided to go ahead and give this book a shot, and um, you know, I gotta say, I, I, it sounds like you guys really dug the book. I, I felt it was a little lackluster. But again, I haven't been reading the previous six issues or however long the storyline has been. But as a death scene, I felt it was a little lackluster. So Paul, you just you just you just deep sixed your you know three years of Ultimate Comics sobriety for Ultimate Spider-Man 160. I want you to know. 
you know, that's pretty much what happened here, too. I mean, I I read the entire run of Ultimate Spider-Man when it first came out. I jumped onto the first few issues of Ultimate Comics Spider-Man, and I didn't like what they were doing with the book at, at all. I hated the artwork. There were some cool things about it. I liked him dating Gwen Stacy, the Ultimate Gwen Stacy. But I dropped off then, too. I only came back for the story, but I came back with issue one of the story, and I enjoyed every single issue highlight for me of the whole thing is that aunt may took out the sinister six yeah she she, yeah (laughs) she shot electro and it overloaded him and he took the rest out yeah that was an amazing panel but i bring this home and my wife hasn't read she's dropped ultimate spider-man before ultimatum she hasn't read an ultimate spider-man book in three four years and i brought this home she's asking is it real does he really die i'm like yes so she sat down and read it, and she enjoyed it because she hasn't read anything Ultimate Spider-Man in years, and it still was a good send-off for her. Yeah. So I haven't read any of the uh, news and solicits on what's going on with uh, the Ultimate Spider-Man uh, franchise, um, but I know there's something else coming, and I think I heard. Yep. Following this is Ultimate Fallout, which is basically dealing with, you know, He's dead now. How, what's everyone's reaction to it? This is the first time the Ultimate Universe hasn't had Spider-Man. So they're going to deal with, you know, what does that mean to the city? What's it mean to everyone that knew him and things like that? And after that is going to be the relaunch of Ultimate Spider-Man with a brand new person in a brand new suit. Someone who's been inspired by the death of Peter Parker. So whoever this new person is, no idea if they're going to have the same powers, don't know anything about them yet, but they have been inspired by Peter Parker. And it was his big final death that was on YouTube, was on, you know, was recorded on people's phones that everyone talked about. That's what inspires this person to take up the mantle. Mm. Well, I'm curious about it. And I, I I thought this was a big finish to the story. Um, I, I I dug it. I dug it. I'm sorry you didn't, Paul, but I, I really did enjoy uh, Death of Ultimate Spider-Man. And I gotta say, I did. But at least you enjoyed sl- Green Lantern, Paul. That invalidates all your other decisions today. No, no. I'm not saying I disliked it. I I I I felt it was lackluster. I've you know I and again I I preface this by saying I did not read the full six issues. I didn't see him go through whatever trials and tribulations led to his death. I just essentially read the death. And you know it it would be like picking up Superman seventy five without reading the whole Doomsday story. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, you know I, 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 I I I just. On this too, like if you're watching him fight, if you look closely, you see the blood stain on the the webbing get bigger throughout the fight, and there are small points where the blood comes out of the webbing when he's fighting. And it's first read through, I didn't even notice it. Second read through, I caught it. That is, there's all, all these just little bits of art, the the detail they put into it that I I loved. So. Ultimate Spider-Man is dead. And so is this episode. (laughs) The death of Ultimate Funny Books. Issue 101. You know, one other comment my wife made after she read it, though, is that she thinks that what they'll probably do is that uh, they'll revive him in an ambulance and he'll go underground, undercover, that we'll actually see Peter return pretty soon, just not as Spider-Man. I wouldn't be terribly surprised if 
something like that happen, if Nick Fury pulled him undercover, if they yeah, they let everyone continue to think he's dead. But to be honest, I, I think they're going to keep him dead. And I'm still shocked they killed the teenager. It's a good book. So, uh... Where to go from here? <laughs> Where do you go? <laughs> uh, now, next week, some pretty interesting books coming out. More Flashpoint tie-ins, of course, because we love us some Flashpoint tie-ins. Especially that Wayne guy. Wayne loves Flashpoint. <laughs> um, but in addition, we've got... Uh, actually, you know what? Next week does kind of suck. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Next week, next week is Wonder Woman 612, which is they're touting as the end of the, uh, you know, the the saga we've been building up to. So, yeah, because it's been two weeks of very lackluster books so far. Not that it's been bad books; it's just that when you go in, there's not much to get. I mean, I've had two weeks where I had less than five books. I only had three books this week, and that was it. Well, well the cure for that is Wayne. Flashpoint. You won't leave the comic <laughs> store without six books in your hand. Well, it, it may be lackluster in certain respects for comics, but I can tell you one comic that's going to rock your socks, and that's this Friday's issue, issue number two of Knights of Rainsboro. So right exciting. Right on ideologyofmadness.com. And if you haven't listened to issue one, go listen to it now. It is awesome. Issue two is the second part of the first storyline features a lot of slam bam action and ninjas <laughs> what's your balls paul ninjas are balls ninjas <laughs> and you find out just how much how how balls they are how much balls they are how much balls they are <laughs> <laughs> how much like balls they are i don't know issue two nights of rainsboro this coming friday that's a little, right. little spoiler. Rainsboro PD are a bunch of jackholes. That's, that's, <laughs> I'll tell you right now. <laughs> <sighs> All right, guys. Thanks a bunch. Bye. See ya. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast. I, th- I thought this one came out good. I think so it's probably because Andrew's not here, really. Well, exactly, exactly. I mean, I, thank you for saying it, Paul. I, <laughs> I, I thought I, w- I thought I would be the first one to say it. So.